today in Act 4, things change just a little bit. As it changes, here's the setting. They move from the, the, the temple gate called Beautiful <clears throat> to Solomon's porch, his portico there. And uh, now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, he held on to them, grasped them, was hanging on. It says they all the people ran together to, ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's porch. And everybody was greatly amazed. Now, it's amazing. Uh, we've been talking about going back to our men's and our women's retreat, the men's and women's summit, where we talked about how we are living in what we call a post-Christian world, a post-Christian worldview where everything seems to be against Christian values and, and the principles that our nation was founded upon. But I want to remind you that these guys lived in what we call a pre-Christian world. Now, I know that Christ had already lived. I know that Christ had already died. But when we think about Christendom and that whole concept of a Christian worldview, it's based on the whole Judeo teaching of the Bible. And so all of these things were not yet established. And so that worldview, that Christian worldview, was just beginning. It was just being birthed. Uh, the church was just had its early converts a few weeks before. Uh, there was no temple. There was no church, uh, no denominations to mess it up yet. I mean, there was none of this stuff. It was just people falling in love with Jesus and going house to house, breaking bread, fellowshipping, doing life together, and following the apostles' doctrine. Well, that sure seems simple and pure, doesn't it? And uh, so this is in the early symptoms. So they were greatly amazed. And so it's one thing for them to be greatly amazed, but isn't it amazing that today when God moves and God shows out that we're still greatly amazed? I believe one of the reasons is because God, does, God shows out in a mighty way such, so little that we are amazed and truly marvel when he does. Why does this seem so little? Well, I believe it's because of our unbelief. We're not waiting on God. Matter of fact, Jesus said to the disciples, I must go away and I go away. And if I go away, you can do greater things if I go away than if I stay here with you. And anything you ask for in my name, the Father will hear your prayer and begin to answer it. But yet, why do our prayers seem not to be answered? And so in this dynamic, here's the interesting thing. They were greatly amazed. And this interesting thing was taking place here. And as they were greatly amazed, they were moving along. And it says, and so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people and he said, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as, as though why, by our own power or by our, our godliness that we made this man walk? We made this man walk. Here's an interesting dynamic today is that they were quick to say, guys, we didn't have anything to do with this. You're marveling the mystery. The mystery of it all had just really had everyone dumbfounded. And they're looking and they're saying, man, Peter and John must have done this. It must have been them. It must have been their power. It must have been their anointing. It must have been their demonstration. And understand that that's the way it was in the Old Testament. I mean, Elijah, Elisha, 
Zechariah, Zephaniah. I mean, we could go through all the prophets of the Old Testament and we see them doing great and mighty works over and over again. But what they stop, this, this mystery really begins to mess them up. And they're confused. They're amazed. They're saying, we know this is the crippled man. We know it's the guy who was laying at the gate, begging, shaking his tin can, and now he's walking around and leaping and hanging on. Just here we are. Here he is in Solomon's porch. He shouldn't even be here. He's a crippled man. The mystery of it. And so this is one place where twisted scripture begins to come into play. As we walk through the book of Acts, we'll talk about a little bit of the twisted scripture. And so here's what it says in this moment. Peter says, why, do you, why are you responding this way? Why do, you, why do you marvel at this? Why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or by our godliness, we made this man walk? You see today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that many of us are looking for a, a plan B that erases the miracle. One of the reasons that we don't see the miracles today is because we have this thing called plan B. We have another, another plan. We have a backup plan. And many times we trust the backup plan more than we do the original plan. And many times our backup plan erases because it, it captures our faith. Our backup plan takes our faith and puts it in bondage and puts it in shackles and, and keeps us a prisoner to plan B. But I am telling you today that God did not design us to live with a plan B. He designed us to live with his plan, with a God plan, that we're trusting in him, that we're relying on him. Will God always move the way we want him to move? No, sir, no, ma'am, he will not. But he is still God. You say, what do you do in that moment? Well, I'm pretty simple-minded, and I'm so thankful that I found that passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, and here's all I know, is that I know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I'm telling you today that God wants to move in a mighty way. And we think, why in the world do we not see an outpouring of God's Spirit? Well, it could be that we get to this place and we, we're taught so much and we allow the things that we were taught in the past to minimize our present and to rob us of our future. There's a lot of things that I was taught as a child that I am telling you today that simply do not line up with the Word of God. It wasn't something that my mom and dad was teaching me that is uh, completely was, wasn't heresy. They weren't doing things intentionally. It came from more of a denominational point of view. I mean, I grew up in a denomination that taught me. Matter of fact, I, I went to seminaries that taught me, and we talked about this in our sermon prep time. And Pastor Lance, we were looking at this scripture, and he, he affirmed the same thing. He said, look, he taught us in seminary that, that the miracles and the gifts and the signs and the wonders no longer exist, that they ended with the apostolic era. Well, the only problem was that sounded good when I was a boy and I didn't know how to reason and hear from God for myself. But after I become a man and I had the ability to read, and I thank God for a mom who made sure I had the ability to read, and I began to read this book and I've searched it high and low and I've just never found a spot in here where it says that the power of God will cease, that the miracles will cease, that the demonstration of God will cease after all those who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus 
or called to glory. I just can't find it. As a matter of fact, I found the opposite of it. I found a scripture that says where Jesus said, and even you will do greater things, greater things. That wasn't just to the apostles. It was to every believer. It was to every child of God. It was to every man. It was to every woman. It was to every boy. I am telling you today, he didn't just say, now only the apostles will be my ambassador. Oh, no, 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 sir. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, therefore, or if any man, if any man, if a white man, a black man, a brown man, an Indian, a Hispanic, no matter what their ethnicity is, will be a new creation in Christ Jesus, whether it was immediately following the resurrection or 2,020 years after the resurrection, I want you to understand something. If any man be in Christ, he will be a new creation. And behold, all things will pass away and all things will become new. And I will reconcile them back to a whole God and now then and now then they shall be my ambassador for me as though God was imploring through them on Christ's behalf for them to be reconciled to God. I'm telling you today the gifts, the signs, the wonders, the miracle contrary to what men I love taught me still exist. All right. Let me plead my case to you. Nowhere does it say that. So we have to begin to twist the scripture. I'm telling you today, the denominations have twisted scriptures forever. The other day I was listening to somebody debate the subject of Calvinism or Arminianism. And he was saying, I'm not a Calvinist. And he's saying, so I must be an Arminian. I'm saying, well, why can't you just be a Biblicist? I mean, why do you have to trust a man who lived two, three, four hundred years ago to define your theology for you when we have a written copy of it ourselves? Why can we not go to God and have the priesthood of the believer and trust what God says and take the human equation out of it? Quit trying to humanize it because we can't understand it. Quit trying to memonize it because we can't understand it. Quit trying to super spiritualize it because we want to be greater than, because we want to be more powerful than other brothers and sisters in Christ. Why can't we just be a blood-bought, sanctified, sealed with the Holy Spirit, born again, hot-hearted believer for Jesus Christ that says, Lord, I want to know your word. God, I want to trust your word. Why can't we do that today? Well, because everything has to tuck in nice and neat. And if it doesn't tuck in nice and neat, then there must be a problem. So things begin to swing far right and far left. Well, that's a common term in our nation, isn't it? And now the people who are on the endangered species list are the pendulum that swings to the middle. Somebody that tries to be balanced. Somebody that tries to be reasonable. Whether you're talking about theology. Whether you're talking about politics. Whether you're talking about whatever. Why do we have to swing so far right and so far left? And what happened in the 1900s is all of a sudden the charismatic movement began to take off and that pendulum swung so far to the left that Baptists and other denominations swung so far to the right that they began to be scared of the Holy Spirit, so scared that they swung so far to the right because they didn't want to be labeled as swinging so far to the left. But I am telling you today that God says, I want you to know my word. I want you to know the truth because because the truth shall set you free. Because somebody, somebody 
say amen today. I'm not looking for men to bog me down. I want to know the Word of God, and I want to know it for myself. The mystery. Let me move on. That's not supposed to be my whole sermon. The message. The message. What was the message? Well, verse 13, here's the message. It's biblical. It says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the fathers who glorified His servant Jesus, whom God delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let Him go. But you denied the Holy One just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And verse 15, you killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead. And guess what? Now you're a witness to it. And His name through faith has made this man strong, whom you see and whom you know, yes, the faith which comes through him has given this man perfect soundness in the presence of all of you. Yet, brethren, you also know that you did it in ignorance and did it also with your rulers. But these things, which those things which God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ would suffer, has been fulfilled. Now therefore in verse 19. Repent. And therefore every one of you be converted. That your sins may be blotted out. So that times of refreshing. May come upon you. From the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus Christ. Who was preached to you before. Whom heaven has received. Until this time of restoration. And all these things which God has spoken by the mouth of prophets. And now for four or five verses. They go back to the Old Testament. And they give the picture of the prophetic word. That God was going to give to them. And then here's what he says. To you first God having raised up his servant Jesus. In verse 26. Send him to bless you. And turning away every one of you. From your iniquities. From your iniquities. What was the message? God gave a promise in the Old Testament. God kept his promise in the New Testament. And God fulfilled his promise with the resurrection. What are they saying? Here's what they are saying. God gave a promise over and over and over again from Genesis in the Garden of Eden when God said unto, unto Adam and Eve and to the serpent, He said, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent from that moment all the way to Bethlehem on that Christmas morning from that point all the way back to Genesis, God was making a promise and said, I know where you are. I know what you need. He is coming. Jesus is coming. My son is coming. Isaiah saw the infant laying in a manger and said, Behold, the virgin shall give birth to a son. She shall conceive and give birth to a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He told Isaiah thousands of years before he ever comes, show up to the children of Israel and tell them that I am I am making a promise that I am coming. And over and over and over again, he was a promise-keeping God. And on Christmas morning,
morning. I'm telling you, on that day in Bethlehem, all of a sudden, he, she gave birth to a baby, laid him in a manger, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and all of the earth began to migrate to where the king of kings was. Shepherds were coming. Wise men were coming. Common people were coming. People of the city. People far off. People of the tribe of Benjamin. People of the tribe of Judah. People of the tribe of Reuben. All the way down. God moved the whole nation of Israel to Bethlehem to fulfill his promise. And for 33 and a half years, Jesus kept the promise and was fulfilling every word of the Old Testament. And then God fulfilled it himself on that great getting up morning. They said, you have killed the prince of life, but God raised him from the dead. Today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, do not let man rob you of the treasures of being a child of God. Do not let man sell you short on the mysteries of the Word of God. Can I explain it? A lot of it I can. Do I care that I can't explain it? Absolutely not. Because if he was so small that I could understand him, he would not be large enough to redeem me, seal me, keep me, provide for me, sustain me. Is somebody, somebody hearing what I'm saying today? I mean, somebody. Don't let man sell you short of the message. What was the message? The message is this, that he is a promise-keeping God. He made the promise in the Old Testament. He kept it in the New Testament. He fulfilled it with the resurrection. And now acknowledge the ignorance. He looks at him and says, look, ignorance robbed you of what God was trying to do for you. Several weeks ago when I preached on the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost, that's always, it, it, preaching at Family of Grace is one of the hardest challenges that I've ever had to do. And it keeps me on my toes more than ever because we are so mixed up, ecumenically speaking. Everybody's grandma was something, even if you were nothing. And so even if you were nothing, so you affiliate with what your grandmother was. So therefore, you are what your grandmother told you you were going to be or what your mother told you were going to be or, you know, or this whole dynamic. And so now we have people that are coming from the Baptist life, from the Methodist life, from the Pentecostal life, from the Assembly of God life, and they're all coming together. And you know, for the first for the first 10 years of my ministry, I mean, I had a pretty monolithic group. I mean, they were pretty much all the same. They all came from the same walk of life. So you could just pre stand up and get on the soapbox of the Baptist movement and just preach that thing right down the line. But the only problem was, what do you do with the rest of the Word of God that doesn't fit in that box? And so I was preaching on the Holy Spirit, and after that was over with, boy, I knew it was a challenge for some people. And I was prayed hard before I preached on that in Acts chapter 2. And that week I was so encouraged because a lady told me, she said, can I just tell you that what you were teaching Sunday was not what I was taught as a child. Nothing about it. But I am telling you that me and my husband, we have been trying to seek the Lord and understand God's word and not what we were taught. And she said, I'll tell you, Pastor, I think it was right down the line. And I went, because you never know how those conversations are going to go. 
And here's the thing I want you to understand. The message was God is a promise maker. God is a promise keeper. And God is a fulfiller of every word. And so when God keeps his promise, it creates madness. Chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Now as they spoke their sermon, the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and all the Sadducees came upon them at one time. And being greatly disturbed, they taught the people and preached in Jesus' name. They preached about the resurrection from the dead. So they laid hands on them. And they drug them off into custody until the next day. For it was already evening. See, my friends, when you teach the whole counsel of God's word, it will drive some people crazy. People that you may have thought were your friends will turn and walk away from you. You know, you, you, think it's, you think it's bad, and it is bad. If someone tries to leave the Muslim faith and become a Christian, or leaves Judaism and becomes a Christian, just let them leave the Church of Christ movement and go to another evangelical church, or let them leave a Pentecostal church and go to another church. Oh, my gosh, you would thought they died. You would thought, you, you would thought they were worshiping Baal or something. Now, I'm not trying to make little of that. I'm trying to say how ridiculous it can be at times because we will grab a couple of scriptures here and a couple of scriptures there and let men twist them into a, a, a crown of deception that we will wear on our brow. One of the heroes of my faith, 80-something years old, a hero to me. One of the greatest men of God I've ever personally shared air with. Came in my office one day and he was crying. Because he was brother with the Church of Christ. Sent him a letter saying he hoped he could be born again. I didn't know whether to fly out to where that guy was. Grab him by the neck shake him around, or just weep. Because we allow the doctrine of humanity to blind us to the sweetness of God's Word. I'm not telling you I have it all figured out. Please, no, I do not. But I know this, that I will not allow anybody to rob me of the treasure of being a child of God. I will not let anybody sell me fool's gold. Or sell me short. If it doesn't line up with the word of God. It creates madness. It drives people batty. I got through preaching a funeral one time. Was standing at the back of the hearse. Putting the body into the cat. The, the, putting the casket into the hearse. I shut the door and a lady leaned into me. From another denomination. I said, now you know that wasn't true what you were preaching. Well, boy, isn't this a great time for it. One other time at a hearse, a man's dad had died. We put his dad in the hearse, shut the door, 
I was standing beside this son who was well in years. He looked at his best friend who was of a whole different faith, not a Christian faith, and he looked at me and said, I want to introduce you to my pastor. And he shook his hand, and he put his arm around him. And he said, look, I don't care where you go to church. He said, I just want you to know my Jesus. Wouldn't that be great if we was more concerned about people just knowing our Jesus than it was trying to convert them into something that man created, ordained, and instituted? See, Jesus called us to be a witness, to be an ambassador, to evangelize and make disciples. That's really all he called us to do. Now, I know this may be a little close for some of you, and it may be a little sensitive around the edges, so I apologize if it's a little hard for you to take in. But I am telling you today, when you realize when you have been set free, you don't want to go back and put on the robe of heaviness or the robe of religion when you can have the robe of righteousness that doesn't come from man but from God. The last thing, and I'm done. There was the mess the madness, but the miracle. They drug those two old boys off to jail, but the presence of God was already there. And the Bible says that day, five, say it with me, five, let me see your hand, five, 5,000 people were born again. Isn't it amazing that we want to talk about the 3,000 that was converted on the day they were speaking in tongues and hearing in tongues, but over here in Acts chapter 4, 5,000 were born again, and it just gets glossed over. Am I the only one that finds that a mystery? 5,000. 5,000. There was no crusade. There was no worship band. There was no slides, no jumpers. No Duncan booths. There was two men of God walking down the street, saw a man in need, reached out in an act of mercy took him by the hand and said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. One beggar, telling another beggar where they found the bread, lifted him up by the hand, created a commotion, stirred up the religious group. I believe probably if you're not stirring up the religious folk, you're probably really not doing anything of significance. Did I just say that? I I'm sorry. Because God doesn't tuck it all in. God does not fit in our boxes. I know that drives a lot of you detail people crazy. You perfectionist crazy, but sometimes he just likes to color out of the lines. Why? I don't know, because he can. That day, 5,000 people were born again while they were in jail, being held overnight against their will. The miracle came from the message. You have killed the prince of life. But God raised him from the dead. You can have what this crippled man had if you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. Now, let me close with this. You say, Pastor, what in the world does this have to do with Mother's Day? Absolutely everything. Because Mama and Daddy, the world is going to try to pull you astray. The world is going to try to take your eye off of the prize. The world is going to try to get you so twisted up and the things that you will never be able to understand. Great is the mystery of godliness. He will get you so twisted up on things that are insignificant.
that you will fail to teach your children the things that are significant. He will get you so twisted up that you will become so afraid of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life that you will render Him powerless in your life because He may move in your life in a way that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe what we need to do today is just say, Lord, I'm all in. Lord, I'm going to follow you. Some of you, what does it have to do with us as mothers? Because today the message needs to be consistent. The message needs to be consistent. And the message is not necessarily what you're saying, but what you're modeling. The way you model your faith life in day to day, is it demonstrating that Jesus is alive? Or is it demonstrating that other things are greater than, other things are more important than? If you will be consistent to the message, you're going to drive your kids crazy. I'm just going to tell you. I'll tell you this. The Bible says that if you will train them in the right way when they're old, they will not depart from it. Not by what you're saying, but by what you're doing. And it will produce a miracle in their life. There will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. Trust the message. Trust the method. Trust the math master. Hernan Cortez, fifteen nineteen, talking about old men. Arrived in the new world of New Mexico with 600 men. As they pulled their canoes on the, their boats on the shore, their boats, their seagoing vessels on the shore, their ships had all arrived. He told his men there, guys, to conquer this mission, there is no turning back. No turning back. We will either conquer or die. And so he sent his men, he sent some of his men, and he burned their ships and said there is no retreat. Two years later, he conquered the Aztec Empire. Because he said, there's no retreat. Mama, daddies, grandmas, grandpas, maybe you need to burn your plan B today and say, I am all in. I'm going to trust the message of the resurrection. I'm not going to trust in the strength of men. I'm not going to maneuver it my way. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I know I may seem crazy. I know I may seem analytical. I know I may seem old school. I know I may be mocked. I know I may be ridiculed. But I know that I am standing on the stone that the builders rejected. Today, husband, wives, moms, dad, grandmas, grandpas, sell out, burn your ships. Conquer that which is in front of you or die trying. God, in Jesus' name, speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's somebody bogged down in denominational religion, may you set them free today. 
Lord, if there's somebody bogged down in all the stuff as a parent of the world, Lord, for moms and dads that are trying to give their kids everything and keeping them from getting the main thing, speak to their hearts today. Lord, for moms and dads that are trying to train their children to be scholars and athletes and scientists and gymnasts and everything in the world, may we train them. May we model for them what it means to be your child. In Jesus' name, you pray. We pray. And all God's people say, amen.